This is exactly right. If we want to move the dial, if we want to move ourselves and our children toward a more patient, loving, um, kind place, we have absolutely everything we need. All we have to do is shine the light in our own direction. Welcome to the Parent Footprint Podcast with Dr. Dan. I'm your host, Dr. Dan, and let me tell you about our mission at Parent Footprint. That mission is to make the world a more loving and compassionate place, one parent and one child at a time. We believe the key to raising happy, healthy, and engaged kids is for us parents to seek the same in our own lives, happiness, health, and engagement. We believe that awareness is the foundation for your vision of successful parenting. And with increased awareness and intention, we can be purposeful about leaving a healthy footprint on our children. Today's show is The Science of Attachment with our guest, Bethany Saltman. Bethany is an author, award-winning editor, and researcher. Her work can be seen in magazines like The New Yorker, The New York Magazine, Atlantic Monthly, Parents, and many others. We're going to be talking about her new book called Strange Situation, A Mother's Journey into the Science of Attachment. Bethany also is a best-selling book partner, communications director, and in-demand mindfulness mentor, helping writers and entrepreneurs at all stages of the creative process envision and execute their projects, including book proposals, content development, big ideas, and messaging. A longtime Zen student, Bethany is devoted to the fine art and game-changing effects of paying attention. She lives in a small town in the Catskills with her family. Bethany, welcome to the show. Thanks. Thanks for having me. So I've been looking forward to this conversation because, as many know, Parent Footprint is about awareness, being aware of oneself, where we've come from, what we do, our emotions, our intentions, and how that impacts our children. And you set out on a very long journey Mm -hmm. to understand several aspects of this quest. Indeed. Yeah, so I know that's a statement and not a question. So I'm going to get to the question, which is, tell us how this journey started. Um, Yeah, it was a long journey and it continues. Um, The journey started, you know, I, I... in my acknowledgments for the book, I said, you know, this book was many years in the making if you don't count my whole life. So mm-hmm. really, you know, in a lot of ways, I've been on this journey forever. But um, I know that what you really mean is, you know, when did this particular part of the journey start? And I would say that it started um, really 14 years ago when my daughter Azalea was born. Um, so that was the beginning of these stirrings of questions of, what is this love business all about? Um, why does it not feel the way I thought it was going to feel? Mm-hmm. Um, why is my maternal love, which is which was very much intact from the moment she was born, I loved her. Um, I thought she was, you know, the sweetest thing that had ever been born. Um, I enjoyed her company. I, you know, I, I did all the quote bonding that one might expect or want, but at the same time, I was still myself. I was still um, kind of irritable, angry, edgy, 
um, all the things that I've always, um, you know, had to deal with being myself. <laughs> and, um, and that really surprised me. And I, and I was nervous about that. And I wondered kind of what good is this love if I can still be um, so frustrated and impatient with this beautiful infant that I just worked so hard to give birth to. It, it really set me um, on edge and, and made me wonder what was going on with me. Was there something wrong with me? Um, and then I, I, I was working with that question. I was, I was writing a, a, um, a, a column for a local magazine on being a Buddhist mother, which I was and still am, and started to do a lot of research for these monthly columns and came across the, the um, idea of attachment separate from what I had heard when I was a new mother, which was Dr. Sears' attachment parenting, which mm-hmm. I had some issues with and concerns about, I started to learn about attachment. I learned, I started to see pictures of Mary Ainsworth. I started to read about this, her, um, her laboratory procedure, the strange situation. And I thought, oh, this is something that I can really sink into. And in fact, that's what I did. Uh, 10 years of, you did. Um, <laughs> I did 10 years of studying attachment later. Um, now the book is out and that's, that's the beginning of that journey. And you know, and it speaks to your um, being a Buddhist, your you know insight, your awareness, your ability to pay attention. And I and I'm thinking, you know, as you were talking, you you know, the, I'm not supposed to feel this way. So first, it's this. I don't know that any, everyone. I don't think everyone explores that first off. But second off, I was thinking, where do we get the messages about how we're supposed to feel and be? Mm. Well, that's a great question. Um, you know, a lot of people have written about particularly maternal um, uh, ideas, you know, patriarchal ideas about um, women being in service to babies, um, less than complete humans, um, you know, really sort of just, you know, the, the, the creators, you know, the whole idealization of women and, and mothers, the sort of maternal Madonna concept a lot of those ideas that have kept women in a certain position in our culture for, you know, tens of thousands of years. And, you know, that's certainly one aspect of it, but I think it's also, um, you know, as you mentioned from my, from the Buddhist point of view, certainly it has a particular flavor as a woman, but as human beings, I think we are so limited by our view and that's what the Buddha called delusion, you know, our limited view of how we are, quote, supposed to feel, how, how we think the world is supposed to be. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, where does that come from? I wish I knew, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, it, it's our limited view. Right. And it, and I've said this on, on a different show, I, I brought up the shoulds, um, uh, Albert yeah. Ellis, right? Albert Ellis, um, who started Rational Motive Behavioral Therapy, he used to say, uh, stop shooting on yourself. Like all of these <laughs> shoulds, that. you know, you love that? Like all these shoulds we have. Okay. So you had this, I'm not supposed to be, I'm not supposed to feel like this. I'm not supposed to still be myself, right? Right. Like right. this child was supposed to transform me and I'm supposed yeah. to be more patient. Yeah. So, so, okay. So you, you talk about Mary Ainsworth and those of us who have studied development, attachment, and psychology are familiar um, with her amazing work. So tell everyone about her work, her seminal work, and and the road from there. Yeah, well, Mary Ainsworth um, was 
Um, she died in 1999, a celebrated researcher within developmental psychology, but really unknown um, outside of that um, very limited um, field. And when people talk about attachment these days, people always think of John Bowlby, who was mm-hmm. the British gentleman who came up with the theory of, of attachment um, in the 1950s. And Mary Ainsworth actually worked with him was not his student, was never his student, although people always refer to her as his student. Um, She got a job with him in London because her husband wanted to go to London. It's a long 1950s dutiful wife story Mm -hmm. that ended up, you know, it ended well, um, but, you know, she was doing what she thought she was supposed to do. And she ended up getting this job with John Bowlby, who was studying attachment at a clinic. And, um, and he was developing the idea of attachment and she was very, um, suspicious of it at first. She really didn't buy it. And then with another, um, another thing that she had to do with her husband, Len, um, was to go to Africa. Another thing she wasn't that excited to do, but she ended up going and she said, well, let me try to develop a little research project and, um, and test this idea that Bowlby is starting to develop. And so that's what she did in Uganda with 26 families. And she started to see before her very eyes that in fact, relate, that in fact attachment was happening. Um, these babies weren't just connected to their mothers because their mothers fed them, which was the prevailing idea at the time. Mm-hmm. She started to see that mothers and babies were in actual relationships and that there was this coming and going between them, a back and forthing that was miraculous and delightful. And it, and, um, she, she said it was a sudden and total change in perspective, a total paradigm shift. She then went back to the United States, um, got a job at Johns Hopkins and wanted to replicate that study, which she did in Baltimore, um, otherwise known as the Baltimore study, a longitudinal study of, again, 26 families. Um, she studied each family for 72 hours, like Jane Goodall with chimps, just, you know, mm-hmm. she and her researchers watching mothers and babies in the nursery, in feedings, bath time, everything, looking at what she called critical situations of relationship, not a checklist of behaviors of when does the mother smile, when does the baby smile, but what is going on between these two people? And at the end of that, at the end of her first year, she realized that she needed a little bit more data to to understand how mothers and babies worked. So she developed the strange situation in half an hour. She said she came up with this thing, the strange the situation. Strange, the famous strange situation. The famous strange situation. Um, a laboratory procedure that takes 20 minutes to perform a series of reunions and separations between a mother and between a caregiver and a baby. Originally, of course, it was mothers and babies. Um, and um, it's been you know, discovered, replicated tens of thousands of times around the world with pretty much every kind of baby and caregiver we can imagine. And um, it's been proven to show that within that 20 minutes, like an x-ray, we can see the inner workings of the attachment system. We don't mm-hmm. see everything about people, but we see something very, very foundational. And um, like... In Buddhism, we understand karma as cause and effect. Um, the way that a, a baby and a mother relate to one another um, by one year old is going to impact the baby forever. It can change and it will change, but it's something that exists 
and has to be tended with. Because if you don't tend to it, it will it will tend to itself. And I uh, I got you know a kick out of um, in your writing. You, you know, you talk about you were you were hoping to find in some ways that like the mother response didn't matter, and you're like. Oh crap, it matters a lot. <laughs> yeah, it does matter a lot. But it's not what I thought. It's not the Sears style mattering of like, you better, you know, co sleep, you better nurse, you better never let the baby cry, you better wear the baby in a sling. It's not a behaviorist um, kind of model. It's, it's about what happens on the inside. You know, that was Mary Ainsworth's brilliance. It shone through from, for, from her to me the way a mother's. Um, the way any caregivers insides shine through. And so, you know, that's, that's a, that was for me a very terrifying message because I thought maybe there's something deep and dark wrong with me that is going to be, you know, given to my daughter whom I love so much. And, and, you know, and because what we, because who we are is what we have to give, it is, it is important to take care of ourselves you know, so so the message really is um, whether or not we feel totally at ease with who we are and happy with who we are, we can always move ourselves in a, a, a happier, more aware, more delightful direction by bringing awareness to our inner state. Mm-hmm. So that is really the core message of this. You know, it's not that it doesn't matter what we do, but what it is that matters isn't what we think it is. And it's much more forgiving. It's much more whole person. And it's much more, um, it's much more um, generative. Mm-hmm. And I think that's what we want everyone to hear who's listening is yeah. that, as you said, it's forgiving and it's more whole. And, you know, there's so many so many people who feel, you know, I'm broken. There's, mm-hmm. there's something wrong with me and mm-hmm. I'm going to just, I'm going to mess up my child. And, and so tell us about how that's not necessarily true. Yeah. I mean, this is the big point, right? Uh, you know, and this is why th- this book is kind of, it's, it, it's a dangerous territory because it's so, we're so filled with shame. So many of us are so filled with shame. You know, I certainly was. I, I am. I, you know, less today than I used to be. Um, and, and so it's hard to even hear the message that whoever you are, whatever you are, however you feel is enough. Mm-hmm. And, and it doesn't mean that we, can't, we shouldn't be held accountable. It doesn't mean that our behavior doesn't matter. What it means is that if we want to move the dial, if we want to move ourselves and our children toward a more patient, loving, um, kind place, we have absolutely everything we need. All we have to do is shine the light in our own direction. Mm-hmm. So, so we tend to get obsessed with our kids as, as behaviorist kind of um, tools or objects. You know, like if 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 I quote, do it wrong with my kid, my kid is going to be this way as though there's like this mathematical equation. Mm -hmm. And it's just not true, which is why the Dr. Sears model makes me crazy because it's taking, it's hijacking this concept of attachment, which Mm -hmm. is 
this very internal experience between beings and it's magical and it's mystical and it's extraordinary. And it's trying to, you know, put it into a checklist of behaviors. And so, so, you know, yes, our behavior sometimes has to change. Like I, I, you know, it's not okay to yell at a baby. It's really not okay to yell at a baby. That's not good for anybody. Um, but the way to change that isn't to shame myself and beat myself up. It's to, it's to shine a light inside, become more aware of what happened, what was happening inside of me before the yell, all the ideas, all the shaming language, all the voices that are saying, God, you suck at this. Mm-hmm. Here you go again. You should know better. What's wrong with you? You've been you know, on that cushion, on your meditation cushion for all these years and you're still doing this or, or, you know, or the ideas that, that come before the yell, the like, oh my God, this is going to be my life forever. Like, oh my God, my kid is just like me. Oh my God, my kid is going to be spoiled. Oh my God, you know, the doomsday voices. And, and so that's, you know, that's where our kindness needs to really enter. And, and because of the, you know, the way that we are, conditioned and because of the way it is, you know, we're, un- we're conditioned to think about parents and motherhood as though we've got all the answers. We think it's somehow selfish to take the time to notice our own thinking. Mm-hmm. Exactly. And you just gave me one of a shameful flashback, shameful flare parenting flashback. Um, three kids under four holding the newest one, um, pushing one on the swing and the other one on a play structure, I'm hoping is not going to fall and hurt themselves while, while my wife was getting a break. And I remember pushing and looking around and totally sleep deprived because our kids did not sleep that much thinking, how did my life get deduced to this? Like what happened? And then immediately thinking, what is wrong with you for thinking that? Yeah. about you know yourself exactly. as a parent right away exactly. and um i was thinking uh, thinking of you saying to yourself after sitting for years and meditating you know i still react like this and i'm thinking like right. yeah after all these years yes you're still human exactly <laughs> there's, no, there's no way around that exactly so so the shine the light yeah um i want to i wanted to highlight that because what i'm hearing you saying is shining the light inside is a, the act and the art and the ability to start becoming aware. Is exactly. that is it, am I, okay? Correct. Yep. So, so instead of shaming, because this is so key for everyone to hear, because you know, instead of what we do to our kids, it's how you know what do we actually do to ourselves to mm-hmm. impact our relationship with our child and that exactly. connection attachment. So, so walk us through a little bit about. What is the, you know, what's the process when you un- unavoidably hit the shameful thought to change sure. it into awareness that then could ultimately change into doing something a little differently and that's more healthy for everyone? Yeah. Well, you know, my method is through meditation. Um, that is the way I have found to s- learn to slow my mind down enough to see because the first thing the first step of a, developing awareness is seeing the thoughts that are arising that are leading to this um, snapping or the raging or the worse, you know. Um, and so we have to be able to see our thoughts 
and then the reactions that our body has when we have certain thoughts. Mm-hmm. And, and everybody's going to go about that differently. Meditation is just a tool. It's a fantastic tool, a well-honed technology to help us get there. But not every, that's not going to be for everybody. So journaling is an amazing way. But, but you know, or talking to a friend, psychotherapy, of course. Um, and, you know, the, the, real, the real, the thing that pulls all those things together is curiosity. And having some space around identifying with our thoughts and being, like I said, curious, ha- like letting a question mark arise. Um, and that's so, that can feel very threatening because I know for myself, I spent, you know, many, many, I've many times felt like if I don't like, you know, shame myself or beat myself up, I am going to do more harm. Like I have to somehow, squelch this part of myself. And in fact, you know, and that's why this attachment journey has been so important for me because now I'm convinced that that's not true. And so I can allow myself the space to say, huh, and why, why am I still, um, you know, why is it so hard for me to believe that I should have these angry thoughts? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then I can, you know, explore myself a little bit, and and just by airing it out a little bit, it really loses power. When we when we, you know, try to turn away from something, it becomes much, much, much more powerful. And the diffusing, I had a um, important guide in my life who I remember whenever I would consult with him about my um, punitive, you know, negative thoughts, and he said, you know what, all you need to say to those thoughts is. Hmm. Interesting. I'm thinking that and let exactly. it go. And exactly. I couldn't believe it's such a powerful technique. It's so powerful. Yeah. So we don't need to, even we're talking about attachment. We don't want to be attaching to these exactly. negative thoughts. Um, so then when one is shining the light inward and being attachment aware Mm-hmm. What does a parent think about? Should a parent? I say should. What should a parent think about when they're being attachment aware? Um, that's such a great phrase, attachment aware, because you know the the secure autonomous adult, as per the adult attachment interview, the hallmark of a securely attached adult is that they value attachment. Mm. So, in order to value attachment, you have to be attachment aware. So really just becoming attachment aware is going to take you very far. And hopefully my book is really going to help with that. That's, you know, the hope. Mm-hmm. Um, just becoming aware that we ha- we're all wired to attune to the people in our charge, in our care. Yes. We may not and like it all the time. No. Per- but particularly the teenagers. That we have. Well, you know, I have to speak up for teenagers. I have a 14 year old and I feel like they get a really bad rap. Mm-hmm. And so, especially girls. So, um, anyway, but I, I know what you're saying. And, and of course, you know, attachment behaviors are designed to get our attention, positive or negative. <laughs> so, when so, you think, yeah. Yeah. No, go ahead. Continue. No, no, no. Go ahead. Please. Um, so, I was just thinking about all of the work that 
you know, you mentioned your book, which we're here to talk about all the, the all of the work that you have read and studied about attachment. So there is a ton of stuff out there. Your your book and your work puts a different spin on it and I'm going to say takes it to a different level or a different plane. So how tell everyone how how this is takes on Mary's work, amazing work and 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 packages it in a way where you're dispelling the myths mm. um and and providing a roadmap. Oh my gosh. Well, thank you for that. That's a grand compliment. Um, I love hearing that. Thank you so much. Because, you know, I didn't, I never set out to write a memoir, FYI, a memoir. Um, Please help me say that correctly. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Memoir. Um, And um, I really wanted to tell Mary's story and the story of attachment. So I, I, I like to think that I was telling my story in service to this idea. And the idea, the myth that I'm trying to dispel is, first of all, Dr. Sears, you know, behaviorist spin on attachment, um, that you have to do something for your child to become attached. Our children are going to attach to us. It may not be the, the optimal secure attachment, but it's going, unless, you know, they've been raised in a 1950s, um, orphanage, which, you know, we hope is not the case. Um, they will be attached. It may be an insecure attachment, but they will be attached. So just let's let that thing go. And it doesn't matter if you breastfeed, it doesn't matter if you sleep train, it doesn't matter if you wear a sling. None of those things matter. Mm-hmm. Um, the other myth that I would like to dispel, and not that those things are bad, obviously they can be lovely if they're tuned into what each parent needs. Um, but the other, the other, and this isn't so much a myth, but you know, people talk a lot about attachment styles. Right. And and that's a that's a complicated world. And it's very different from the work of Mary Ainsworth and her predecessors, such as Mary Main, who came up with the adult attachment interview. The adult attachment interview reveals something about, our, about us that um, is unconscious. And it's that unconsciousness that gets passed down generation after generation. The adult styles questionnaires is interesting and it's really more of a personality quiz, but it's not really getting to the thing that is so deep and so beautiful about the, in the attachment, um, the patterns of attachment work of the developmental psychology world. Now that the attachment styles work, I will say is not what I've been studying. So I can't, you know, I certainly don't mean to demean it in any way. I know that it's incredibly rich, but it is different. And, um, so I would like readers to understand that when they're thinking about attachment styles or using the phrase attachment styles, they're talking about something that you can see about yourself. Whereas the, the other is a little bit more mystical, thus intriguing to me. Intriguing. Yes. And so let me just do a little sidebar of what people might be thinking is so, a lot of the attachment styles that people know about and are trained in are, you know, ultimately the secure attachment, but also the avoidant, the disorganized um, uh, attachment. There's different names um, for them. This is not what you're talking about. Well, they have many of the same names. So that, you know, from the, the attachments um, from the Mary Ainsworth world, the Bowlby Ainsworth world, we have a securely attached, we have as babies, you can be securely attached you can be insecure avoidant or insecure resistant or ambivalent. As an adult, you can be secure autonomous 
or insecure dismissive or insecure preoccupied. Disorganization is considered a thread that can run throughout any of the other categories. Few children are considered primarily disorganized. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And there, there are a lot of terms that are used, to your point. Like There are the main terms, and then there's a subset. And it can get quite, um, as a, from a reader perspective, it could get quite overwhelming um, mm-hmm, with the terminology. So if we can boil it down, what should people be thinking about when it comes to healthy attachment? Delight. Mm. That's what they should be. That's the North Star. That's it. Delight. Yeah. Yeah. Forget about all that stuff. That's for the, you know, the very technical. I find it compelling as heck. I mean, I'm just so intrigued. And as a Zen practitioner, I see the way the mind works in terms of security attachment. I mean, security avoidance and um, resistance. It's like so interesting about like clinging and, you know, the way the, the mind scrambles for safety. So I am a total nerd about it. But when you're, when you're, you know, you're just, you maybe don't want to go that deep into it. What you're, what you could think about is delight. Like, where do I find delight in my heart? Hmm. And how can I uncover more of that? Shame is pretty much the opposite of delight. So we can, you know, if we're feeling shame, let's move in a different direction or, you know, take the top off and see what's beneath the shame. Because what Mary found was that the, the, um, the telltale sign of a secure relationship between a, a baby or a child and their caregiver is mutual delight. Not all the time, <laughs> not even most of the time, but it exists and a child must be able to feel the parent's delight in him or her. And, and a parent can't delight in anything, even, you know, especially their child if they can't feel delight in him or herself. I love this. I mean, so you've boiled this down to something that sounds so simple. So instead of all these terms, people, we're just focusing on delight. I love that. And something you just said there is so important is that, you know, so many adults do struggle for a variety of reasons, whether they're... um, from their childhood or from their the current situations um stressors and and then there's this oh gosh again if i'm like this how can i have a healthy relationship with my child and what right. you're saying is you you can um and you need to do whatever you can for yourself to be healthy yes so, you know, take right now, this insane, strange situation that we are all in. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I'm a big Real Housewives fan. Like, I love all the housewives. <laughs> and now my daughter's 14, so she can start watching it with me. So sometimes I'll be like, girl, let's just like have a marathon and we'll watch like three episodes. We'll eat junk food and we'll sit and we'll watch Real Housewives. Now, is this what you know, is sort of like wholesome delight that people might think I'm, I'm referring to. No, it's, you know, it's trashy. It's um, not particularly healthy, but it's, we're connecting to each other. And I mm-hmm. delight in the, those housewives and, and Azalea can feel my delight in that. And she, and I'm delighting in her delighting in it and them and this experience. And we have these great conversations about relationships because that's all the housewives are about. And, and, um, and, and that's, it's, it's great. It's light. 
It's pleasurable. Um, now, is that what we do most of the time together? No, but in, under these circumstances, it's, it works. And so if I can keep the delight as my North Star and value that over these heavy ideas about how I should be parenting right now, like, oh my God, we should be playing a board game. We should be doing a puzzle. Why aren't we playing Monopoly every day? Why aren't I baking bread like everybody on on Instagram? Or maybe I am baking bread and now I'm worried that I'm, you know, not making enough like pickled ramps or whatever it is. <laughs> you know, it's like the yeah. shoots will never stop. No. 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 So really it's it's like it's it's I don't know if this is the right word. It's like it's not it's like quality of experience with each other. Right. In, it's not but even it, but it's in ourselves. Right. Right. That's what the, I really want to bring mm, people back to. Okay. Particularly right. as moms, you know, because we lose ourselves. Women lose themselves in relationships so fast. It's like we barely even entered the scene. Right. So if you're watching Housewives and you're thinking, <laughs> this is wrong. What am I doing? Yeah. I should be doing this. I can't believe I'm exposing my daughter to this. What are right. people going to think? Right. You're not acting in delight. And that is Heck going to no. impact the experience exactly. um, as well. Exactly. It is a genuine delight for me. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, obviously we use our best judgment, people. Please don't, you know, take this the wrong way. There are adult delights that you know, are not appropriate for children. I'm aware right. of this. Yes. Um, but this is something, you know, that I really like. And, and then I do the same with her. Like if she really enjoys a show, I, you know, she's really into the Simpsons right now. So I'll, you know, watch the Simpsons with her. And I just, and I love listening to her watch the Simpsons in the other room. Oh my God. It, it's so sweet. I don't like the Simpsons. I'm not a Simpsons mm-hmm. fan. But I, there's something about listening to her and she laughs out loud. She cooks herself her mac and cheese. It's, it, deli- it delights me. She delights me because she's delighting in what she's delighting in. Hmm. Now, is this what I had in mind that my, that my 14-year-old would be doing at the end of her eighth grade year? No. Do I want her you know, doing all these other sort of cool things like kickboxing and reading and making movies and you know the more like wholesome thing activities of course but but if mm-hmm. delight is my north star you know we're hitting the we're hitting the mark some mm-hmm. of the time so that's mm-hmm. good that is good you know i'm thinking back to um you know the ainsworth studies um yeah. both in uganda and then back here in the states and what would you say? I'm thinking of what I'm trying to think of how to break this down. Like for because for listeners of having kids of all ages, you know, yeah. what's what's a marker for them to see in their child? Let's say as as toddler, as elementary school, as teenager. You know, like where's the feedback of mm-hmm. you know what I'm I am engaging in an an attachment process where my child is showing. Um, you know, secure attach, showing relational attachment, showing the things that we're wanting right. for our security, kids. Security, security. Yes. Yeah. Um, that's a great question. You know, I, I, I hesitate to answer it though, because temperament does play quite yes. a role, you know? So th- these things show up in very different ways for different kids. So I would really bring people again, back to their own experience and you know we could i could name things that that tend to be the case grit 
um, mm. you know, a kind of, um, you know, uh, delay ability to, to delay gratification. Um, but, but, um, you know, doing well in school, being, you know, good with, with peers, but what you're really looking at in a child is the ability to mentalize from early on. And, but that, but that changes so much depending on where the child is developmentally and their age, but the ability for a child to have empathy for a child to recognize their, their own states of mind will change. These things come online pretty young, Mm -hmm. you know, you'd be surprised, Mm -hmm. but because that's such a difficult, um, you know, area and it tends to get a little shamey, you know, like, Mm -hmm. okay, Mm -hmm. my kid's not doing this, that, you know, Saltman said should be happening. And because that's actually not my area of expertise anyway, I would Mm -hmm. really encourage people to keep checking in with themselves and to keep Mm -hmm. looking for that delight, mutual delight that we can all recognize. Mutual delight. Mutual delight. Is the child delighting in themselves? mm -hmm. Are they delighting in us? Are they delighting in their version of the Simpsons is their delight in the field. Mm-hmm. And so for folks who, you know, we know that first year life is so important, as you said earlier on, for those folks who they were in a tough situation when mm-hmm. their child or children were born or in early child when their kids were young, um, difficult circumstances, uh, sure. difficult emotional issues, it's also, as you said, I just want to highlight, it's not too late, right? The, Never. the attachment process goes on for quite some time. Forever. Forever. Mm-hmm. And that is so important. I, I, in my book, I talk about how I um, really transformed my relationship with my father, though he's been dead for many years. Mm. And, and that relation, the change in that relationship is going to affect my daughter Azalea because I'm different now. Mm-hmm. Mm. And so I'm different. And so she's going to be affected by the change that happens within me because I changed my relationship with a dead guy. <laughs> yeah, that's powerful. It's right? powerful. And it's not, it, this is not, um, you know, one of the reasons why I was so excited to spend 10 years studying the science of this stuff is so that I could talk about this and really try to convince people because it's not just some new agey kind of mystical thing. This is real. And, and what happens inside of us is, um, is so, it really does transmit to our children. And, and it's nonlinear though, you know, so, so I can do something about my, I can change my past, which will affect my daughter's future and her children. Mm-hmm. So it's never, ever, ever too late. So let's say you had a, a difficult year. I had a difficult first year. My daughter had a difficult first year with me, I'm sure. Um, I don't know how she would have done in the strange situation. Exactly. I mean, we could never know. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, we can always transform uh, the future by transforming the present. And we do that by bringing awareness to the present. So we bring awareness to the difficulty that we're having. We bring awareness to all those shoulds. We bring awareness to the experience of shame in our bodies as difficult as it is. It's the only way. 
And I love how awareness keeps coming up, right? The light has to keep coming back to us for us to be healthy and raise healthy people. Like there's no way, there's no way around it. There is no way around it. You know, Mary Ainsworth came up with this phrase, one of, one of, you know, one of the many that I love of hers so much, um, the excellent informant. So the mothers in Uganda that she found had the securest babies. Um, she didn't use those terms then, but she then, you know, started to think about it that way. Um, they were. It, it turns out that they were all mothers that she found were what she called excellent informants. It meant that they could tell a good story about their baby. They they were able to notice things about their babies. They were able to remember things about their babies. They were able to, they delighted in sharing experiences about their babies. And it, and she was really taken by the fact that a lot of the women, she went away feeling like they were hospitable, they were open, they were chatty. But when she got back to her desk and looked at the notes, there wasn't much there there. There wasn't a lot of detail. Mm-hmm. And the detail comes from awareness. If you aren't, aware of what's going on around you, you aren't going to notice the kinds of cry that your baby has, you know, when they're hungry, when they're wet, when they're, um, you know, restless, when they're distracted, when they're scared, you, we, and that awareness develops inside of our own bodies. There is no other place it can happen. If there is one thing you hope people take away from your book one main thing and i know that's a hard question that is <laughs> that's 10 years i'm just trying to distill yeah. and you can fudge that if you need to add something like what okay what do you hope what do you hope people take away from your book um i hope that people take away the hope that um that this life is so magical and, and, and that, um, you know, delight is always available, regardless of where you find yourself the moment before. And all it takes is a shift in our state of mind. And mm-hmm. we can, we can transform the universe, including our children's yeah. uh, futures. Mm-hmm. That's it's, big. It's That's big. big. Yeah. It's big. And it's, and it's real. And it doesn't matter who you are or what what kind of suffering you have had to withstand. And we have, you know, the suffering that people have to withstand is overwhelming. You know, mm-hmm, I mean, mm-hmm. I've had mine, but I know that people have a lot. Mm-hmm. And so this is not some Pollyanna experience. And, you know, a lot of the research, a lot of the attachment researchers work with the most, um, the most um, at risk populations mm-hmm. in in New York City and, and around the world, and and that this you know this awareness practice, this becoming more capable of what they call reflective functioning or mind sight or the ability to mentalize this this awareness practice helps everybody by orders of magnitude. You know, to the point where kids may not, where people might not get their kids taken away because they're able to see right. themselves. This is so. This is very. It's not abstract. It's not woo woo. It's um, not. It's real. Yeah. It's, it's real. Very real. It's real. And it's hard work. It sounds like oh, shift your state of mind. 
Yeah, try no. it. Yeah, exactly. It takes <laughs> it, it takes a lot of intention and per- perseverance. But but first, as we're talking about, it takes awareness. It, yeah, it all starts with that awareness. Right. And, and, you know, the reason why I've been able to do it is because I love my daughter so much that I am willing to work this hard. She's worth mm-hmm. it. It is time for the parent footprint moment question. Oh, boy. <laughs> Here okay. we go. Tell us about a time that you became aware of yourself as a person or as a parent and that new awareness had a positive impact on your child? Mm. That is such a great question. Um, Well, so when I was working on these columns that I referred to earlier, um, and I got to interview really cool people about parenting and everything, really, and then write about it, I had the opportunity to interview John Kabat-Zinn, the um, mindfulness um, guru. Yes. Yeah, exactly. And I was really excited because I my daughter was around, I think, four, three and a half or four. And I was, you know, things had gotten better, but I still struggled. And I had this idea that he was going to give me, I was going to, you know, have this conversation with him and impress him with my practice and, and that he would somehow give me a, a, a pass. He would, you know, I would sort of do a, a kind of Buddhist confession and that he would tell me that I'm on, on the right track and that all will be well. Don't, 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 you know, beat yourself up kind of thing. Yeah. So we had this conversation and, um, and he said, you know, parenting really just comes down to one thing. It comes down to staying connected. And I said, yeah, but I don't want to stay connected all the time. I, that's really hard for me. And he was like, well, how old is your daughter? And I told him three and a half or four, however old she was. And he said, well, I have to tell you, I have really strong feelings about these kinds of things. Um, your daughter didn't ask to be born. Mm-hmm. And I was like, whoa, 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 whoa. Not what I was expecting. Mm-hmm. Not what I was hoping. Um, and I realized that he was right. That you know, up until that time, I had been, I was starting to look into attachment. I was working really hard at being a better person, you know, a, a kinder parent, more patient, more loving, but I still felt a little bit like a victim. I still felt a little bit like, oh, woe is me. This is hard. Um, I can kind of fall back on my difficult childhood. I can fall back on all the reasons why I might be impatient and, and you know, whatever. But in that moment, I woke up and I said, oh my God, I'm an adult. And I brought this child into the world. She did not ask to be born. It doesn't mean that I am a bad person, but I am ready to be held accountable. And that's Mm -hmm. really when this journey for me began in earnest, where I said to myself, Mm -hmm. no more bullshit. Yep. I'm, um, I'm taking this seriously because this is, this is serious. I brought this person into the world. And this is on me. This is on me. Mm-hmm. So how do we do that without shame? Beautiful. That's the question. Yeah. And I, and I like that, to yeah. think yeah. that that has positively impacted my child. I would um, confirm that belief. <laughs> yes, I will validate that. Thank you. Thank yes. you. Yes. Well, thank you so much for your sharing today. And you're so excited about your book being out there for 
everyone to uh, gain this wisdom. And of course, through a total um, honest, transparent, humorous, you know, like you just, you put yourself obviously into this book and you are, you let people see you, which is what Mm. makes this whole process so human and accessible. Thank you. That's so nice to hear. So let everyone know where they can find your book and your writings. Sure, sure, sure. So um, I have a website, uh, bethanysaltman.com, and that's S-A-L-T-M-A-N, no Z. Um, I'm also on Twitter at Bethany Saltman, and I'm new on Instagram, Bethany underscore Saltman. Um, You can get my book anywhere. Um, uh, You know, all, all bookstores, please go to independent bookstores whenever possible. And, um, you know, coming out with a book during this COVID thing, especially after 10 years has not been for the faint of heart. It's been complicated, tricky. Um, I would really appreciate the support. And, um, you know, if you want to write a, write a review anywhere, that's always welcome. And I'm super into these conversations. I love connecting to parents. Um, Random House has a whole sort of author chat thing that they're doing for book clubs and all the rest. So check out my website, check out Random House's website and see if, you know, if anyone would be interested in doing book clubs and having me come. There is a lot of possibility for that, especially these days. Awesome. And we are going to spread the word and um, and share. So thank you so much. Have, be safe, be healthy, wishing you the best. This was awesome. I really appreciate the conversation. Likewise. Until next time. All right, everyone. That concludes our show for today. You know where to find us, www.parentfootprint.com. Subscribe to the show. Tell others about it. Join us in our mission to make the world a more loving and compassionate place, one parent and one child at a time. Be the person you want your child to become. Strive for that daily. And as always, ask yourself the guiding question, what footprint do you want to leave?